The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North 5th Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Ed Begley Jr.'s career has spanned decades, including earning six consecutive Primetime Emmy Award nominations and a Golden Globe Award nomination for his portrayal of Dr. Victor Ehrlich on St. Elsewhere. His other TV credits include Better Call Saul, The West Wing, along with films like Batman Forever, An Officer and a Gentleman, and of course the great Christopher Guest films like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. Ed's new memoir discusses all the pivotal moments in his life, and there were many, as I've got Ed Begley Jr. on the line right now from his home in Los Angeles. Jim, how are you? I'm great, Ed. Welcome and congratulations on your new memoir. I appreciate that. It was fun to write. It's great for me to talk about. Um, how do you remember all the stuff, especially considering your younger party years? I have no idea, but I know this. <laughs> a, a couple of years ago when I started, I had a certain deal to get it down before I forgot any of it, you know. Uh-huh. I'm starting to forget why I came in the garage. It might, I might forget the uh, Charles Manson story or the O.J. Simpson story <laughs> or the Christopher Guest story. I want to, you know, I want to write this stuff down before I forget it. So my daughter started recording it on her smartphone, but she has other things to do in her life. And I, when she wasn't available, I started you know, typing it up on my computer, and that's when it happened. The keyboard became like a Ouija board that actually worked. You know, I started being drawn up to the attic to open a box there, and that box had another box inside of it, and another and another. I'm speaking metaphorically, uh, memory boxes, and I started to remember things I hadn't thought of in 40 or 50 years. And it was a great, great experience to recall it. And then through different friends who are still among us to verify it, make sure. Am I remembering that right? Did we actually smoke a joint with Charles Manson? Yeah, we did. Okay. <laughs> what was the guy's name? David Curley. We went up to visit him. He lived in a treehouse near the saloon, the saloon of the Spawn Ranch, and on and on. And you know, my friends James Jeremiah and other people who are still with us helped me verify some of those things that happened so long ago. And Fortunately, his memory matched mine. What kind of a relationship did you have with your famous actor father? Because I know there were some rough times. Yes, yeah, as a teenager, you know, I didn't really understand or appreciate him. I didn't appreciate what I'd been given, the gift I'd been given yeah. for many years. I was about 30, so I began to appreciate him. I, I thought I'd done all that I'd done at that point by myself. I, you know, I got the odd the audition, I didn't know how I got the audition. I thought, because I did well in the audition, I'd done it all. Somebody got me that audition. Who was that person? My stepmother, my father. I never even thought about it. I went, I read for it. I did it all. I, I earned it. But I, I didn't know how lucky I was to be born at Begley's son. I won the lottery by being born at son, and I didn't even buy a ticket. So I live in a great deal of gratitude now. A gratitude I didn't have as a younger man, so... Like Mark Twain, you know, how much smarter my father got from age 18 to age 22. He sure got a lot smarter in those two years. I, I can certainly relate to that. And I remember seeing you in uh, TV shows like Room 222 or Laverne and Shirley. Did you sort of feel like you had made it as an actor at that point? No question. Just to be doing it, to get a SAG card, be in front of a camera, and then be asked to do another episode and another and another that show Room 222, I thought, I'm the 
luckiest guy alive. How, you know, I just wanted to do what my father did. If he'd been a plumber, I would be fitting pipe now. And I, you know, I was on the set with him, and it was so exciting. It was magical to be on a set. And I, uh, I got to do it myself finally, starting in 1967. And I've been incredibly lucky that I'm still doing it to this day. That's 46 years later. So I don't care if you're a, your line of work is selling used cars or aluminum siding or birdcage furniture. If you're still doing it after 46 years, you're one lucky person. In the late 70s, Ed, you were cast in Going South with John Belushi. And is it true that John, of all people, helped get you off of alcohol? He was a, definitely, he and Judy were both a sobering influence on me in that situation and in many different ways. Uh, he saved me. I was in the El Presidente Hotel in Durango, Mexico. We were working on that movie, and I had a lot of time off. So I was just sitting there drinking all the time. And he grabbed me by the collar. He and Judy said, come on, you're getting out of here. You're coming out of the bar. We're going to go look at the town, do a little sightseeing. You can't just sit here and drink. He was definitely a sobering influence on my life. And Judy is still uh, around, and I get to thank her regularly for that. She and he both were great, a great influence on me. And I have to ask you about Marlon Brando, who told you, quote, we're going to power every home in America with electric eels? <laughs> yeah, at first I thought he was winding me up. You know, I, I thought it was a joke, but he wasn't kidding. <laughs> so we all know that electric eels stun and spray, you know, with a zap of electricity from the tail, but it doesn't sustain, you know, and so I yeah. tried to guide him into something more sustainable, you know, that he's you know, he reasoned, his idea was that if you put an anode and a cathode in a pool of water and had a lot of, a whole bunch of eels in the pool, you'd have some usable current. But that's, of course, not the case. They just have to pray for a moment, and there would be no way to derive usable power from an eel. So I tried to be, you know, sensible about it and not push too far. I didn't want to get kicked off the list by being too <laughs> smarmy about it. Yeah. But I also I didn't want to be a yes man. He hated a sycophant more than anything. He didn't want people, oh, yeah, Marlon, what a great idea, how wonderful. And then realized later, oh, wait, that didn't work. Why did he encourage me to do something that did not work? Uh, you were respectful. What do you remember about being cast on St. Elsewhere as Dr. Ehrlich? Because that was certainly a hugely successful role for you. It was the role of a lifetime. Bruce Palcho gave me that the role of a lifetime. I'm forever grateful. But I did not get the part I wanted. I read for the character of Dr. Peter White, played by Terrence Knox. That was the regular character in the show. Ehrlich was in maybe one or two episodes. He had one or two lines in the pilot. It was the nothing part. But I was happy to have anything on that fine show because the scripts were so incredibly good. And on year two, in the middle of year two, Terrence Knox's character, Dr. Peter White, had shot and killed and I was around for the whole run of the show, became one of the most popular characters of the show, my little two-line part. So you know, everything I wished for was one thing. What I actually got was always much better. You said it yourself that your environmentalism sort of made you an outcast in Hollywood. I remember interviewing you years ago, and you were very serious about it, as you still are. But then Christopher Guest... Uh, cast you in Best in Show, and you've been busy ever since, yeah? He bailed me out of movie jail. I was in movie jail for a while. Yeah. Some projects that I did that did not do well, box office, nor did they get good reviews. And also, 
as you rightly mentioned, I gave people the creep. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like my name was on a list in a drawer, like do not hire. I was not on a do not hire list. But who do you got for the part? They tell the agent, you know, and the agent would say, oh, Ed Begley. Yeah, who else do you got? <laughs> Give me another name. Yeah. Because they thought I was going to, like, point fingers at them as they pulled up in a limo or some sort of Range Rover or something. And I'm not like that. I encourage people to do what I'm doing, but I'm not into making people feel bad or, you know, do things in a confrontational way. So, uh, but it, it, it cost me some work over the years, but it didn't last long. By the time Chris put me in Best in Show, I was somehow on the approved list again. I've been working ever since. And by the way, your chemistry with actor Ian Armitage, the kid on Young Sheldon, it's just outstanding. You must love having scenes with him. I love it so much. He's such a smart young man. He speaks, I think, five languages. He sings in, you know, all of them. He sings these songs in Russian. He's an amazing genius of a kid, just like his character. And most importantly, he's got his head screwed on straight. He's not into any ego trip about his good fortune getting this great job. He's wonderful at it. And just a, a great young man. A very, very sweet kid. Smart and accessible. Ed Begley Jr.'s must-read memoir, The Temple of Tranquility, is on sale everywhere, including Amazon. Ed, it's been an honor. Great talking to you. I appreciate it. Always good to talk to you, Jeff. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Yes, from that strange meeting with Charles Manson to young Sheldon actually being a genius. I can't wait to get into this book. That finishes this episode of the Fake Show podcast with my guest, Ed Begley Jr. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to the Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 